If you have your Bible this morning with you, and you would open it or turn it on, we're in the book of 2 Samuel, the first chapter. We're going verse by verse through the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And you say, well, Jake, uh, uh, how do you know uh, what you're going to preach on next week? Well, we'll preach on the verse that comes after wherever we stop today. And uh, we are trying to hear what God's Word says to us. Not the opinions of a pastor, not the opinions of a church, but what does God's Word say? The Bible tells us that the Word of God never returns void, that it is sharp like a sword that can pierce and cut to the very core of who we are. And so today you do not need to hear a man, you need to hear from him. And so today we are going to be talking about one of the most difficult topics to talk about. And the title is, and I hope that you'll take notes, How Do We Handle Loss and Honor God? Second Samuel starts after David has just found out that Saul is dead, that Jonathan is dead, that the people and the army have been destroyed and they're on the retreat. Families have abandoned their homes and fled for their lives. And David found out this information in the beginning of chapter 1. And a man tried to lie to him and to gain favor by Saul's death. And that man was put to death. But in verse 17, where we're starting today, David begins to tell you how he feels. And in our society, we have two extremes when it comes to loss. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's the loss of a relationship, whether it's the loss of trust. We either have people who get on Facebook and every day for seven years begin to talk about woe is me. Or we have other people like myself who act like grief does not exist. Loss does not agree. Um, as uh, one movie said, I have the emotional range of a teacup, right? And so I, I don't do well with emotions and grief and loss. And so people like me act like it never happened. And both of those extremes are not healthy or they are not biblical. And David today shows us when we are in the moments of our greatest loss, how to honor God through that. You see, in the moments of great loss, God will open up opportunities for you to make a difference in the lives of other people, to encourage and strengthen. And I want to start today by saying, if you are going to someone's funeral and you are walking up to their wife or their children, please do not quote Romans 8.28. You say, Jake, but it's true. You're absolutely right. But we see here that there is a process to mourning, a process to grieving, a process to just being there for people and saying, I don't know what you're going through. I might not understand what you're going through, but I am here for you. And the greatest gift you can give for people in a time of loss is to show up and just be quiet. Just be there with them in the moments of life. And so I want to read a verse to you from the book of Romans about death and why death affects every single one of us. And so if you would stand with me as we read Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The Bible says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. So don't miss that. Sin is the reason there is death. 
And death will affect each and every one of us because we all sin. It's not a question of when, of if you deal with loss. It's a question of when. And so pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you know me. I'm a sinful man. I have nothing good to offer. But God, you can do amazing things through the preaching of your word and the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you what we have witnessed this week. Lord, we pray that this is just the beginning of what you are going to do and how you're going to change lives and, and turn families to you. Father, I pray that you would just work for your glory and your glory alone. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to go verse by verse. And I pray that the Lord would speak to you today. The first thing I want to show you today is how do we find purpose in a time of great loss? How do we go from asking the question of why did this happen? Why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to us? And to be at a point where you can say, God, I know that you have a purpose for my life. God, I know you have a purpose in this pain. God, I, have a, I know you have a purpose in this valley. God, I know that you have a purpose. I just need to be a part of it. I just need to see it. And so look here in verses 17 and 18 of first chapter of second Samuel. Then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. <clears throat> he says, and he told them to the children of Judah, the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Yasher. There are two things here, personally and privately and corporately and outwardly. The first is when you and I experience great loss, there is a time of mourning. David says here in verse 17 that he was lamenting, that he was mourning, that he was heartbroken, that he was overwhelmed in the death of the best friend that he had ever had, Jonathan, and Saul, who was a man who was his father-in-law, who he served under. You say, well, Jake, he didn't treat him very good. You're exactly right. But loving and mourning and honoring people does not always depend on how they have treated you for a season. You see, Saul was good to David for years and for a period of time. But yet that relationship had went and broken. You say, well, Jake, I'm not going to mourn. I'm not going to weep for people. I want you to hear this statement this morning that just because someone doesn't mean something to you doesn't mean they don't mean something to someone. Now, don't miss that. Just because someone doesn't mean something to you doesn't mean they don't mean something to someone. Every day I read WFIW, the obituaries, the Baptist Hour, as I remember it as a kid. And every day I pray for every family that comes up on that, whether it's at Sicily or Fairfield or Carmi. I might not ever meet them. I don't always even know who they are. But to whoever is in that box that says survive by, they mattered to them. And if that relationship was so broken that they didn't matter, they definitely need our prayers. Because that causes all kinds of emotion and difficulties when you lose someone that you're supposed to love and supposed to love you, but yet there's something going on there that has caused a division. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, these words, Blessed are those who 
mourn, for they shall be comforted. David was mourning multiple things here. David was mourning the loss of Saul and Jonathan. David was mourning the loss of God's army, God's nation. David was mourning for those families that had lost everything. David was in a spirit of mourning and lamentation and brokenness. And friends, today I want you to know whether you've lost a loved one, there's a relationship that's come to an end, someone's betrayed you and broken trust that you thought would never happen. Look up here. It is all right to mourn. It is all right to go through a season where you just are struggling and you are weeping before God. But there's a second thing we see from this passage of Scripture. David tells them to teach them to the children. You see, the reason that we are to pass down our faith, to share our testimony, is when you come to the end of your life, your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews, they should know how God has made a difference in your life. They ought to know that when you leave this world, that there's not a question of, I wonder if grandma, I wonder if mom, I wonder if my sibling knew the Lord. I wonder if they have went to be in the presence of the Lord. And you say, Jake, no one knows the hearts. You're right. But the Bible says that if there are no works, if there is no fruit, then we should be concerned my desire is when I leave this world that my kids can say, yes, I know when my dad was saved, but I know that he was living out his faith, that he prayed, that he sought the Lord, that he studied the scriptures, that he taught us the things of God. We should pass down what God has done for us. And what God has meant to us as an individual. If your grandchildren and children do not know your testimony, it is time for you to share it with them. And if today you're standing here saying, I don't know my testimony. Maybe I don't have a testimony to share. Today, Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. He will forgive you and make you to be a part of the family of God. And you can have a testimony to share. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the nation of Israel was in a mess. They were in a battle that they could not win against an enemy that was far superior to them in every way. 1 Samuel chapter 7. And I want to read to you how God intervened. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They have no hope. Help us go to God on our behalf, so that we are not wiped out by the Philistines. And in verse 9 it says, And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Don't miss this. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And before we look at uh, verse uh, 11 and 12, God does a miraculous event to save them, to deliver them. To confuse an enemy army. And in verse 11 it says, And the men of Israel went out 
of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Gave them total victory, total deliverance. And look what they do next in verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem and called its name Ebenezer and said, Thus, for the Lord has helped us. Now, I want you to think about this. He puts this giant stone as a place to remember God's goodness. But if he did not tell the next generation, and if they didn't tell the generation after that, what happens is people walking along the road say, that is one big stone in a really weird place. It is our responsibility to declare what God has done in our life. It is your responsibility, parents, to tell your children how God has been good to you, how God has blessed you, how God has taken care of you, how God has been with you through the difficulties, through the ups and through the downs and through the challenges of life. Church, I'm speaking to you. It is our responsibility to teach those who are coming up about how God has been so good to us and how God has worked and how God has moved and how God has blessed and how God has done these things. And if we don't do them, you will see a generation of people grow up in church that are bitter, that are angry, that only see the bad things about church. And friends, God is good. God is good to us. Yes, we have troubles. Yes, we have struggles. Yes, our church has problems. All of them do. But it's because we have stopped talking about the goodness of God that that is all people know. And friends, third about that is us, the nation. Friends, it is our job to teach a generation about how God has been good to America. It's our responsibility to talk about how God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us how we live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth, even though there's a group of people trying to ruin it. We ought to tell them about how God's been with us, how God has protected us, how God has provided for us, how God has worked and moved. So mourning is a time of internal dealing, but it's also a time to pass on what matters. Second thing I want to show you this morning from this text It's not only how to find purpose in a time of great loss, but how to proclaim truth in a time of great loss. How to proclaim truth in a time of great loss. When you and I are in a great loss, when we've lost someone, when we've gone through something, our emotions are a mess. Our thinking is a mess. And you've probably looked back out of a stressful situation and thought, that was the dumbest thing I ever said. I get so nervous at funerals. This is what happens. I will walk up to people at a funeral in line as they're standing with their loved one and be like, how's it going? Now, you might not think that's a dumb thing to say, but it's a dumb thing to say. Literally, they're burying someone they care about. You could walk up and say, hey, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you. Hey, is there anything you need? Our hearts break with you. But walking up, how's it going, pal? I'm overcompensating for a lack of emotion. And if I've said that to you, I am sorry. But that's how we do. And it's funny and it's comical. But friends, when we are going through great loss, God is giving us a platform to share what Jesus has done with other people. Look what it says here in verses 19 through 25. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. 
Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty. The bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. <clears throat> o daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. Now, what you're saying is, wait a second. David is describing Saul in a really nice way. I want to tell you how Jake Gray would have described Saul. Saul threw a, threw a spear at me twice, tried to kill me. Saul took my wife, who was his daughter, and gave her to another man. Saul chased me out of my home and tried to kill me in my bed. He also tried to chase me and kill me everywhere I went. He followed me into another country and tried to kill me. He literally ruined my life and took everything from me. And I'm glad he's dead. But that's not what you see here. I have been trying to apply a principle to my life recently. And it is involving speaking. One, is it true? Now, I know what some of are saying. I've got no filter. The truth is the truth. And it comes out unapologetically. I want to say what that makes you. A jerk. You know how I know that? Because that's what I say all the time. Is it true and is it necessary? Not everything that true should be said. Not everything that could be said should be said. So is it true to say? Is it necessary to say? Is it helpful to say? Is it going to edify someone else, encourage someone else? Can God use that to correct someone else? And fourth, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? And is it kind. Can I say the truth in love to other people? You see, what David does here is he spends all of these verses talking about the blessing that Saul was and that David was. You say, well, that's a lie. That's phony. That's, that's being two-faced. No. What David was doing was this. David realized that all of us are sinners, that all of us have struggles, that all of us fall short. And the problem with most of us is we never give people the benefit of the doubt. We only remember their faults. We only remember their mistakes. We only slander what they've done wrong. And what David says is you need to remember something, Israel. David was God's man for a season. God used Saul in a major way. Did Saul make a mess of everything? You bet he did. But what David says is this. I'm going to honor Saul and let God take care of revealing the details. And when you read this book, you see how Saul failed, how Saul sinned, how Saul struggled. But David wasn't the one that was a part of it. I'm going to make a statement, and it's going to upset some of you, and I do not care. It doesn't bother me a bit, but I love you, and I hope that you'll forgive me, okay? 
the greatest sin that the church has and the greatest reason that God does not bless churches is because we cannot stop slandering other people. You take it for what it's worth. You say, Jake, but I know the truth. I know what happened. I know how I feel. I know how I think. I know what's what, and I want to share it with other people. Let God fight for you. David says, I'm going to honor Saul. I'm going to be good to Saul. I'm not going to slander Saul. And God can take care of the rest. Now, I can see the look some of are giving me. And so I want to show you what the Bible says so that you don't hate the messenger. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. The Bible says these words. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Don't miss this in verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. We are to love others and honor them. Even if they're not perfect. Even if they make a bad decision. Even if they do something that we think is dumb. It, they are sinners just like we are. They are fallen people in need of the grace and mercy of God. Does that mean we cover up sin? Absolutely not. Does it mean that we deny sin? Absolutely not. But it is time for God's people, the one group of people in the world that have extended, been, extended mercy and grace and forgiveness and peace and a second and third and fourth chance by God to extend it to other people. You say, well, Jake, I can extend it to people as long as it doesn't affect me. Look up here. Jesus extended mercy to you and it affected him. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin. Well, tonight we're looking at Matthew, the 18th chapter, and so it fit well here this morning. How do we honor people when there are disagreements? How does David honor Saul when this relationship was so broken? Well, the New Testament tells us in the Matthew, the 18th chapter, starting in verse 15. The Bible says these words, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, that means if you've been wronged, if you've been hurt, if you've been talked about, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I want you not to miss the last word in that sentence. It said, alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. He gives us hope that in church, in life, you are going to have broken relationships. You're going to have people that are angry and hurt and, and sinful. And what it says is there's a way to fix it. There's a way to honor God. Just like Saul is honored here by David, even though David was treated so poorly, it is you go to your brother in private. You go to him in love and say, I don't understand what happened. I don't understand why you've done this but I want to talk to you because it has affected me. Can I tell you that this is non-existent anymore? We don't do it in our families. We don't do it in our churches. We don't do it in our marriages. And what has happened is we have a culture that is tearing itself apart. You say it's the media's fault. It's not the media's fault. You say it's the politician's fault. It's not the politician's fault. You say it's that heathen that lives next door to me. It's not their fault. It is when God's people stop extending mercy to each other and stop being willing to sit down across from someone and say, I love you enough 
to make this work. I love you enough to fight for this. I love you enough to honor you. First Peter, the third chapter, because I know that it's not going well at the moment, but in verse 10 of chapter 3, the Bible says these words, for he who would love life and see good days. If you want to enjoy your life and you want to see God bless your days is what it's saying. You're saying, I want that. This is what it says. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking to sit. The stuff that comes out of your mouth will ruin your life. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll break your family. It'll tear up your marriage. It will destroy relationships. And today you need to understand something. You have a choice. I have a choice to make to honor God. What that means is this. I am a sinner. I know I dress and look amazing, but I am a sinner, okay? The first service, I turned around and read the verses like this, but I forgot my hair powder, and someone said, Preacher, there's no hair up there at all anymore. So I've been reading it this way, all right? But I am going to sin. I am going to do things that are wrong. We all sin and fall short. But if I sin against Brian, and I have, it's just the way it is whether it's in thought or action or deed. And I'm wrong. I have broken God's word. I have broken our relationship. All he has to do is come to me and say, Jake, you've sinned. It bothered me. That's it. And I have to allow the Spirit of God to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. We're both right. We've both honored God. But the moment that Brian tells Chance, Chance tells Jeremy. Jeremy tells Gary. Gary tells Larry. What has happened is me being in sin now makes him being in sin. Friends, don't go from letting God be on your side fighting your battles to siding with the enemy. Trust that God can make things right. Trust that God can honor you. Trust that God can fight for you. Just like David did. He said, you know what? I'm going to honor Saul and God will take care of it. Look what he says here very quickly. He says these things. He says, how can the mountains have crops? How can the fields have an offering? What he is saying in this verse is, how can life go on normal when I've experienced great loss? Now, I want to say this. I believe church should be a place of joy. I believe you ought to sing with joy. I believe you ought to smile. I believe you don't do it very good sometimes, but I believe you ought to smile. I believe you ought to enjoy being in church. I believe there ought to be excitement. But I want you to know something. Every Sunday, there will be at least one person here who doesn't know how they're going to make it. They've lost a loved one. They've went through something. And they are looking around saying this. How can everyone else be living so normal and I have been going through so much? It usually happens about two weeks after a funeral when everyone else goes back to life as normal. And there you sit. How can people go on without it? How can people go grocery shopping? How can people do these things when I'm going through this? And what David is saying is, how can the world keep moving on and something so painful have happened to me? Friends, you're not alone. He even says here, he says, look, it says that Saul's shield has not been anointed. You see, in that day and age, the shields were made of leather. And so it's like a sumo wrestler or something or a, a WWE wrestler. They would lather it all up. 
That way, if someone tried to grab your shield, they would slip right off of it. And so, it's the same way. They would lather up that shield, and if you threw a spear at it, it wouldn't stick, but it would just slide right off. He says, that's all gone. That shield is all dried up. But it's also saying that when God anointed Saul to be king, that anointing's gone. And friends, this morning, you need to know something. God will work and move in your life as long as you will let Him. As long as you will listen to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, God will work in your life. But the moment that you say, no, God, I'm done. I'm going to disobey you. I'm going to deny you. Friends, you and I can face the judgment of God. The third and final thing, just because we're running out of time, I could preach for hours on this song. The third and final thing is this. How to love people so that regret doesn't defeat you in a time of great loss. Don't miss that. How to love people so that regret doesn't defeat you in a time of great loss. All of us have been at a funeral and said, man, I wish I would have said that. Man, I wish I would have done that. Man, I wish I would have went and visited. Man, I wish we wouldn't have fought over that inheritance. Man, I wish we wouldn't have fought over over this. Man, I wish we wouldn't have wasted the time God gave us and regret sets in. Look what it says here in verses 26 and 27. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How a mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. I want to add something right here. Today in modern day America, liberal Christians or people who are liberal and call themselves Christians, have said that this is a verse that supports homosexuality. Today I am here to tell you that that is a lie from hell. David did not love Jonathan in a sexual sense. The Bible never teaches that. It is our culture and our wickedness that has made everything about sex. Right? You watch the Super Bowl and the commercials are all about beer and stuff that are on women. That's it. Those are the commercials. That's what sells. Why? Because everything has become sexual to our debased, wicked nature. But friends, what David is saying is, that is the greatest friend, the closest brother I have ever had. You see, David loved women. David loved women so much, it got him in a lot of trouble. Remember, he got in trouble with Bathsheba. And what did God do when David fell into sin? He sent a prophet to confront him. God never let David live in sin without conviction and correction. And so if there was sin here, and this was a homosexual relationship, and the Bible teaches us that homosexuality is a sin, that it is defiling the nature of what God has created, and then God allowed it, then God would be a liar, and the Word of God would be untrue. And so today I want to just clarify that with you. You see, think about this. David's first wife was given to him, By Saul. His second wife he got because the woman's husband was a jerk. And the third one was because he just met her and for whatever reasons married her. And so what he says is, through the ups and downs of marriage, through the ups and downs of those relationships, there is one person who has been closer than a brother, who has always been there through me, who has had a relationship with me that is truly a relationship that lasts. And he says it's Jonathan. And Jonathan is dead. That doesn't mean that marriage is bad, that marriage is not important. Marriage is biblical, and it's the most important relationship you will ever have outside of your relationship with Jesus. But most of you have probably had a friend 
since childhood. You've had a friend that stuck with you through the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. I can remember um, when my grandfather passed away a few years, I think I, was, I think I was sitting by my dad, an older man had come through, or maybe, maybe it was my brother, a funeral, I can't remember, and this older man came through, and they said, that has been your grandpa's best friend since the years of Walpole, like 85 years ago. And you just think about that relationship after decades and decades and decades. That's what David's saying here. And so this morning, how do you and I deal with the loss of people and not living a life of regret? We let ourselves mourn. I want to show you three things very quickly about Jesus when he wept. In John, the 11th chapter, verse 33, Jesus wept when other people were hurting. Look what it says in John 11, verse 33 through 35. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, that he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. He's talking about Lazarus. When Lazarus died and Jesus knew that he would come back to life. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the whole Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Friends, it is all right to weep with those who weep. It is all right to mourn when love and loss affect you and I. The second time we see Jesus weeping in the Bible is when people have ran from God. Look what it says in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 41 through 44. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. And why did he weep? Because in verse 42, (coughs) saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, that things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43 says, For days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. He says, Judgment is coming. And I don't want judgment to come. I don't want death and destruction to happen to you. And he's weeping for them. Because look what it says in verse 44. And level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Parents, you should be weeping for your prodigal children. Grandparents, you ought to be weeping in prayer for those family members that you have that are running from God and heading for destruction. Jesus wept for people who were going to face judgment. That's a love that he had. And third and finally, we see that Jesus wept with death. He wept with people being disobedient. But in Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says these words, starting in verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In verse 9 it says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was coming, knowing the fact that he was going to the cross. The Bible says that he had sweat like drops of blood and he was weeping because he knew of the trial that he was going to face. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. 
He wept, he prayed, he sought the face of God, and then he was obedient. And because he was obedient, he made a way for you and I to be saved. And so friends, whether you have lost a loved one, whether you are watching the pain of sin or someone else's sin affect you, or today whether you are dealing with something that is overwhelming that you are facing, today God says you can weep. You can mourn. You can live without regret if you'll just admit the struggles that you have. You say, man, Jake, this is the most depressing, discouraging, miserable sermon I've ever heard. Then don't stop listening because I only have one more verse. You've suffered through this whole sermon. Don't miss the best part. The world says spend more money, live forever. The world says just don't worry about death. The world says we're going to evolve and make more advancements and death's not a big deal. The Bible says there's one answer to death. And it comes from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, starting in verse 55. Oh, death. We sang about it that last song. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? It says, what power do you have? To the world, death is everything. It's what ruins everything. But to those of us who know Jesus, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Sin is your problem and mine. Death is the problem we face. But <laughs> thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who did he give the victory to? Us. Friends, death will ravage your home and mine. Sorrow and sickness and discouragement comes to all of us. But God says through the work of Jesus Christ that he loved us so much that he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he willingly went to the cross and he took your sin and my sin. He willingly allowed himself to be crucified and to die, taking my punishment and yours to facing death to dying literally for me and for you. Not because of his sin, but because of ours. And if you're being holier than out right now, for mine. But he didn't stay dead. The Bible tells us that three days later, he arose. And because he arose, not because you're a member of a church, not because you're baptized, not because you've done all the classes, but because He arose from the grave. He has conquered death. He has busted the hold of sin and death in our life. And that means when the Spirit of God convicted Jacob Gray at a revival in the Brown store, which used to be where Hux is now, as a little boy, and conviction fell on my heart, when I went forward and knelt down and asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of all of my sins and that I would turn from my wicked ways and that I wanted Him to come into my heart and life as my Lord and Savior, in that moment, I went from being a defeated, hell-bound sinner to a born-again believer of Jesus Christ who one of these days, when I take my last breath, whether it's on this stage or in a nursing home someday, 
absent from the body is present with the Lord. Last night, my daughter and I, my third child, she's not quite old enough to be saved. She's still got lots of questions. We laid in bed for an hour last night talking about death and heaven and hell and people being saved and her being saved. And she was in tears and crying. And, and it was just, you know, it's one of those wonderful moments as a parent. And you're thinking, don't screw it up, right? You know, don't make a mess of everything. And we were talking and I, 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 I hate it that she's not quite there yet, but she's close. But what I enjoyed being able to tell her was to every question she asked was, yes, but because Jesus arose from the dead, we have hope. We have hope that the world does not have. We have hope of an eternity with no sickness, no pain, no death. We have an eternity that is with the presence of Jesus and with, a, with the loved ones that we've left this world already. We have hope that the world doesn't have. But it's not because your dad's a pastor. It's not because you go to the best church in the whole world. It's, it's not because you get to listen to the best preaching in the whole world. It's none of those things. And my daughter's going, you know, whatever. But uh, it is because Jesus Christ overcame the grave for us. And friends, today, you need to know something. That God sees your pain, sees your heartache, but has made a way to make it all right. And friends, today, that's my challenge to you. If you are here and you're saying, Jake, I don't have a testimony. Jake, I've never repented of my sins and called upon Jesus. Today can be that day. Maybe you're here today and you've made a profession of faith, but yet you've been letting the things of this world rob you of your joy. Friends, what we've faced the last couple of years has been a terrifying fear of death. And you shouldn't be terrified of death. You shouldn't understand it. You should be wanting to know about it. But as a believer, you shouldn't fear death. And so maybe you've let Satan steal your joy of living life. Today you can come and say, God, let me live in the victory of the resurrection. Or third, maybe you're here saying, Jake, I'm just hurting. I've lost a loved one. I'm watching a family member go through it. And I just, I want to pray for them and me. Or maybe today you just want to come and say, I want to thank Jesus that I am not who I used to be. That I have a home that I could not have bought or built on my own. But because of what he has done for me, I have hope. If you would stand with me and pray. Father, I know I have not done your word justice. Lord, I know I stutter and stammer and I just pray, Lord, that nothing I have said or done has taken away from who you are and what you're doing. Father, today I pray for that person that's here today and lost, that knows they're lost, that's under conviction here today, that knows, God, you love them and died for them and want them to return. God, I pray right now that your spirit would convict them and draw them, and Lord, they would come to you today as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for that family who has gone through difficulties. Maybe they're here today saying, Lord, I haven't handled this situation right. Lord, I haven't handled these situations honoring you. And God, I just need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Maybe today it's you, Lord, that you're dealing with them about the fact that they're struggling with loss. And they just want to come and ask God that you'd hear their prayers and carry them through one more day. Father, whatever the need is today, I pray that this congregation would be open 
and willing to respond. God, we pray that we would be faithful to you and your word. And Lord, do a great and mighty work for your sake and your sake alone. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We just would like to thank you for watching today's sermon. And we pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement in your walk with Jesus Christ. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.